the pill, oral contraceptives, progesterone and estrogen. This week, the Gal Pals talk about hormonal birth control. It's your good Gal Pals, Kayla and Arnie, bringing you TMI Talks, where you'll be thinking, no one told me. For friends, sisters, and moms. For all women and vagina havers. Evidence-based information brought to you by a science master obsessed with research. And a physician assistant. Just a reminder that this is for educational purposes only. Please seek a medical professional if you have concerns. We do our best to provide up-to-date information backed by evidence-based medicine. We do the research so you don't have to. Hello, welcome to the No One Told Me podcast. This is the second episode in our sex ed series. And today we're talking about hormonal birth control. We'll be going through what they do, how they work, methods and options, and other things you want to keep in mind when selecting your hormonal birth control. So let's get started. Before we talk about what they do, I think we need to do a little bit of throwback to our very first episode on periods and cycles. Hormonal birth control wants to target the multiple hormones that are at work in our cycle. These hormones are FSH, LH, estrogen, and progesterone. The estrogen and progesterone are the hormones that are produced by ovaries. So I'm going to try to make this as quick and easy as possible while also being a little bit of a throwback to our first episode with a little bit of added information. So FSH triggers immature follicles in the ovary to produce a mature egg. LH is responsible for the release of the egg from the ovary. And all of this happens in the follicular phase. After this, you have ovulation. And then estrogen and progesterone levels are high after ovulation in the luteal phase. When estrogen and progesterone are high, they signal to the body to suppress FSH and LH, basically telling the body, we don't need eggs to be matured or released right now. So FSH and LH levels go down when estrogen and progesterone levels are high. In a situation where you have a fertilized egg or pregnancy, estrogen and progesterone levels continue to stay high and continue to prevent release of another egg. But if that egg is not fertilized, estrogen and progesterone levels drop once again, and that triggers your period, the bleeding, and then you start the cycle again. I think that's a great summary of our, I want to say first episode. So if our first episode titled Code Red isn't something that you listen to. It'll give you more background on how these methods of birth control work. Arnie provided a great summary. If you want to know more, definitely take some time to listen to that episode. So basically, hormonal birth control at an overall level works by introducing estrogen and progesterones to your system in order to mimic the luteal phase, which we talked about previously, which is after ovulation. So your body doesn't ovulate. 
that's exactly it. The levels that you're getting from an external source or a pill or whatever sort of hormonal birth control method you decide to be on maintains you in a sustained luteal stage. Again, as Kayla mentioned, this is when your estrogen and progesterone levels are such that they suppress FSH and LH. They are suppressing the hormones that would trigger ovulation. All these hormones are really doing is just preventing ovulation. And that's how it becomes a birth control. Yeah, because if there's no ovulation, there's no egg to fertilize. If there's no egg to fertilize, there's no embryo, no zygote, no baby. Each type of hormonal birth control method works slightly differently, uh, but ultimately it is about maintaining that luteal stage. Mm -hmm. Common versions you're going to see, especially for the birth control pill, is progesterone only or progestin. Uh, and again, progestin is a synthetic version of progesterone. You'll either see uh, progesterone or progestin only, or you'll see a co combined contraceptive pill, which the combined part is progesterone plus estrogen. Now that we know how they work, what are the reasons for starting birth control? I feel like most people are very tunnel visioned about title of birth control and think that it's only for preventing pregnancy, but there are other reasons. Well, yeah, the the name birth control is definitely giving it a pigeonhole effect where we believe that it's only really used for birth control, but there are a plethora of reasons why someone might be using um, hormonal birth control specifically, and those range from the namesake of preventing pregnancy. Someone might be experiencing heavier painful bleeding. Someone might have endometriosis and the symptoms along with that can be managed with the use of birth control. And I'm also sure many people have heard of starting birth control to regulate acne as well. For whatever your reason of starting birth control, it's always a good idea to know how it is achieving the outcome that they're trying to achieve. Definitely. I do want to make a little bit of a caveat note and say it's great for hormonal acne, not if your acne is caused by something else. So that's always a discussion worth having with your healthcare provider. Oh, that's super important. And anyone who has ever had a discussion with me about hormones and all of this fun stuff will know that achieving an outcome is great. I'm such a huge proponent of people understanding how it works and what it's doing with the rest of your system, which is why I think this podcast is, the specific topic is really good to discuss. Yeah, so whatever your reason, please do research. Ask your healthcare professional all of the questions about options and which one works best for your lifestyle. Of course, we'll go in more, more into detail with that, but that is my mini rant. <laughs> So we've been talking about um, the fact that there are so many different methods, and I'm sure everyone wants to know what the methods are because people want to know what their options are. So I guess we can start going into that now. We're going to go through the options someone would have for birth control in order of most effective in preventing pregnancy to the least. Again, because this is a list of birth control options, there are no birth hormonal birth control options that are 
really, really bad. Again, pick what works for you, but we're just going to go over them one by one. So we'll start off with a birth control implant, supposedly 99% effective and can last between three to five years. So we'll start by talking about the implant. These birth control implants are small cylindrical, I suppose, devices that can be implanted underneath the skin of your arm. And these tend to be 99% effective in preventing pregnancies and can last between three to five years. Yes. And the three to five years, um, you'll continue to hear ranges for these methods of how long they last. And that is dependent on the specific, I guess, brand or type that you use. So some will be three, some will be five. I'm guessing some might be four as well. So that's why you'll hear ranges. Then we have the IUD, which is an intrauterine device. This is a device that a family physician or a gynecologist can, can insert through the cervix into the uterus. And these devices can last between three to 10 plus years, depending on the brand. Again, as Kayla was mentioning, these tend to be 99% effective as well in preventing pregnancies. And a lot of people may also be recommended an IUD for heavy bleeding or even uterine fibroids. When you go for getting your IUD, you're going to sit up in the little harness, not a little harness, but with your feet up on the stirrups just as if you were getting a pap test. And uh, the provider will come in with a little bit like a, first they'll take a long tube. They'll put that through the cervix to measure how deep your cervix is and then mark it off. So that might be the six or seven thing you were thinking about. And then once they know how deep your um, uterus is, they'll get a good gauge on how far to push in that IUD. So it's sitting well within the cavity. That's a great explanation of how an IUD is inserted. This tends to be a popular choice for people who don't want to have to be on top of administering birth control because you can just kind of have it implanted and forget it for the three to 10 years that you have it. And then you get it switched out or taken up, taken out and continue with your reproductive journey from there. Definitely. The implant and IUD are very low maintenance. That's a great options. word for that. Yes. Moving on to the birth control shots. These are essentially pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> They're shots that you get about every three months or so, and they work as birth control. They tend to be 94% effective in preventing pregnancies. And these are injections of hormones, if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of a high dose one and done situation. One and done for three months until the next time. As uh, someone who is needle adverse, this would not be my personal first choice, but I'm sure I can see why a lot of people choose this method. The next is a ring, which is another one that I feel like people kind of know about. Basically, a ring the size of the circumference of a lemon, I want to say. 
you insert it kind of the way you would insert a tampon. We would make sure it goes um, all the way up right next to your cervix. And you wear it for about three weeks at a time and it releases hormones into your body, which then again, does all of the stuff that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, so it again, releases those synthetic estrogen and progesterone levels. Uh, and those levels are absorbed into the bloodstream and they work exactly how we spoke about earlier. And they also work to thicken your cervical mucus. I didn't mention this earlier, but all of the hormone options also do this. They thicken your cervical mucus, making it harder for sperm to go further. But you're completely right. The cervical mucus thickening is definitely something that prevents pregnancy from happening. If you listen to our discharges episode, I just keep plugging in episodes in here. But in there, we talked about the different types of mucus and how certain mucuses will actually promote pregnancy and others will discourage pregnancy. The only reason I brought that up now is because that's the first thing I think of when I think of a vaginal birth control ring, because it's so localized to the cervix, it's having more of that focal or local effect. Mm -hmm. Do all of them do it or just this one? All of them do do it. I just personally think of it for this method in particular, again, because of proximity. Great. And our next is a patch. And as its name suggests, it is a patch that you wear on your skin and it administers the hormones. Basically, these are all different methods of administering the hormone. This one has different side effects when it comes to skin irritation just because it's on your skin. When you think of a birth control patch, think about a nicotine patch. I feel like that's more a common understanding of medications administered through a patch method. And the other thing is that this method needs to be replaced on a weekly basis and is about 91% effective in preventing pregnancy. And the last one we will mention is the pill. Um, I'm sure every single person has heard of the pill. It's very well known. It works exactly the way we spoke about before. So a lot of re repetition because, again, these are all hormonal methods of birth control. So they work in very similar ways. When it comes to the birth control pill, typically you're taking the hormone pill for three weeks and the placebo or sugar pills for one week. In the placebo pill week, you would have bleeding. And this is just a marker that you're not pregnant. This placebo pill week is not required, but a lot of people like having the reminder that they're not pregnant. So they want to see that bleeding. It gives you a little bit more power and control over your own cycle. So I think that's the appeal to why someone would want to take the placebo and they would want to have that bleeding period. The biggest thing about the birth control pill is that you have to be very consistent in taking it at exactly the same time every single day because that makes a difference in how effective the pill will be. And if taken ideally, it's 91%, 91 to 92% effective. And on top of all of these different hormonal birth controls, there are, of course, non-hormonal birth control options that people should also consider. We'll be talking about those in our next episode. So these are not your only options. Consider all of your options. Knowledge is key. Yes, that is the main driver of, uh, of, our, of us doing this podcast. Obtain all the knowledge. Now that we know our options, let's talk about common side effects. 
someone may experience while on hormonal methods of birth control? Yeah, so one that has been um, heavily publicized recently is blood clots. I think it's great to start off with something that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Everyone, I'm sure, has heard of this now because of COVID and vaccines and everything to do with that. But yes, there is a higher risk of blood clots. That's why it's so important to communicate with your healthcare professional on which option is good for you because they'll take your health into account and your specific body and what your body needs and what it should probably stay away from. So for certain people, certain methods are better because of less or higher risk of how it affects things. Because you're bringing up the COVID vaccine, again, being in healthcare, I'm a strong proponent of believing in the vaccine and its effects on society as a whole. Might I mention positive effects? It's also important to note that there are many things that can cause blood clots. So not just, not just hormonal birth control or a vaccine. Your risk of blood clots goes up if you're a smoker, if you're sedentary, if you're not moving from your chair, <laughs> if you have been on long, high altitude flights. So again, that ties in with if you've been sedentary for a while or if you have current cancer or have had cancer in the past six months or so, your risk of blood clots can be elevated. So just this side effect on its own should not necessarily dissuade someone from picking a vaccine or birth control. But again, worth keeping in mind, worth discussing with your practitioner. Yes. So other side effects might be breakthrough bleeding or mid-cycle spotting. And this is more common if someone started birth control and it's most common in the first two to three months after having started uh, birth control. You can also have headaches, nausea, bloating, weight gain, breast tenderness, some mood changes. Hearing you say that list uh, reminds me of when we had our conversation about PMS. It reminds me of a lot of the side effects being headaches and weight gain and not about weight gain particularly, but like bloating, even things like acne being a side effect of birth control, which I know I saw on a couple lists, depending on which ones you use. Basically, all I'm trying to say is when you do pick yours, each one, have they do have common side effects, but there are some that are more common with particular types. So depending on what you already are battling and kind of like managing on your own some might be um some might be more attractive to you than others depend based on that and you're very right to note that some of these side effects sound like pms symptoms and that is probably due to the fact that hormonal birth control changes your hormone levels and these are the same hormone levels or the same hormones that contribute to pms However, when it comes to actually experiencing these side effects, some people who experience these symptoms during their PMS have been noted to experience improvement in their symptoms after starting hormonal methods. So it's not necessarily a one method fits all kind of situation. I think it definitely takes a discussion with your healthcare practitioner and figuring out what works for you and your body specifically. So yes, side effects can happen, 
They may not happen for you or they might. That's why it's a really great idea to be in tune with what is your normal and how that normal changes or develops when you're on a hormonal method of birth control. But if I were to sum it up, birth control should not make you feel sick or uncomfortable. If that is the situation, that is 100% worth bringing up and discussing further because we've only covered the hormonal options this episode. There are so many other options that may work for you in your life. These hormones are modifying the normal levels of hormone that you would have in your body. So I know there's all this fear or there can be some fear about taking exogenous or external hormones. And again, medically, it's not bad, but if it doesn't work for your body, then you have other options to consider. And again, that's why a lot of time I'm mentioning, have that discussion with your healthcare provider to figure out what will work for you from a medical point of view and what will work for you for you point of view. Yeah, I think that's a super important point about the fact that modifying hormones will have effects on not only whether or not you can conceive, but by conceive, I mean like can become pregnant, but there, you always have to take the good with the bad, right? And there are pros and there are cons for each. We'll be including lots of links in our about section, and that's always a good place to start to see what are some of the most common pros and cons for each method and what might be best suited for you and your body and what you have going on. And as, of course, as always, look into all of your options. As Arnie was saying earlier, there are non-hormonal options. There are other options. This is like the pill is not the end all be all, even though it's the first one that normally people are introduced to, but there are options out there. And even within the realm of hormonal, there are so many options. So that's why we keep having, or that's why we keep bringing up, have those discussions with yourself, with your peers. I mean, it's a pretty personal decision. So have that discussion with yourself first and foremost. Yeah. If uh, you haven't gotten the message already, we want you to be empowered with knowledge. So please take knowledge and use it for what you want to do. (laughs) And go forth. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I guess with uh, that discussion, it's really also super important when doing any type of birth control that you remember that nothing is 100%. So just make sure that you are following instructions properly. Don't mess with it outside of how you're supposed to use your method. But just know there's always a chance for something to happen. Um, Our body is is resilient, so I'm sure it tries to work around things all the time, but yeah. And the biggest thing I do want to mention with hormonal birth control options is that it's only really acting to prevent pregnancy. So it has no impact on prevention against STIs. So please keep that in mind. Essentially, if you are sexually active and you don't want to get pregnant, but also don't want an STI, the best thing you can do for yourself is use a combination of any of the hormonal methods we spoke about, plus barrier method. Again, I'm saying the best combination because we're talking about hormonal only this episode. So as we keep saying, 
make sure to always have a discussion with your healthcare provider about what works best for your body. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to ask you, Arnie, as a healthcare provider yourself, what are some questions that people who want to know more should ask during an appointment about hormonal birth control or birth control in general? That is a great question. But I think when it comes to someone deciding what sort of birth control method works for them, you need to have a little conversation with yourself first. And maybe that's where the questions will arise from. I know I'm being a little bit vague, but essentially you need to figure out for yourself what will work for you. Essentially, when you're choosing a method, you want to think about how effective is this method? How easy is it to use? Does it fit with my lifestyle, my personal beliefs or religious beliefs? Will it impact my current health? If you have any other health conditions, will starting this birth control impact that in any way? And that's always a great discussion to have with your healthcare provider. And then you also want to think about, is this providing any protection against STIs? The hormonal methods do not have any protection against STIs on their own without barrier contraception. But again, this is just a general question you want to ask yourself. If you're in a long-term monogamous relationship and you're not concerned about any other partners being brought into the mix, then maybe STI protection isn't your primary concern. So those are things you want to think about. And if you are in that group where you might have comorbidities or other health conditions that can affect or can be affected by hormonal birth control, those are worth having discussions about. I don't know if we mentioned this above, but another side effect can be increased blood pressure or hypertension. So if you're already predisposed to that or you have that in your own past medical history, make sure that you're being you're checking up on your blood pressures at home, or if you're just getting started on birth control, a lot of health checkups at the doctor, nurse practitioner, or physician assistant may be to check your blood pressure before you get that refill of oral contraceptive pills usually. But if anyone has any other questions that they're too afraid to approach their practitioner with, First of all, don't be too afraid. And if you have any questions, feel free to send us an email or just a message on Instagram. I know I kind of uh, answered that in a roundabout way. What I'm basically hearing is it's great to do a little bit of research, write down questions that you have and will have through doing research, preferably before going to an appointment. This way you have, you know what you want to, you have, you know, the questions you have and what might what um health concerns might pertain to you specifically about this topic and you can always have a further discussion on that this way your healthcare professional knows what's important to you and what information you want to receive from them that's exactly right and it'll save both parties a lot of time i think that's a great note to end the main part of our podcast on and we will head into a little bit of a break and come back with some random facts.
we're back. This week, we talked about hormonal birth control. So let's sum it up. Hormonal birth control acts by suppressing other hormones that trigger the release of an egg. When the egg is not released, it can't be fertilized, and that's why it works as birth control. Hormonal birth control also thickens cervical mucus, which we discussed in another in another episode, also prevents sperm from traveling to your uterus. The reasons for starting birth control might be just more than contraception. There's a variety of reasons. Methods that we discussed today were implants, IUDs, shots, rings, patches, and pills. Next week, we'll be talking about non-hormonal methods. When it comes to side effects, you may be at high risk of blood clots, high blood pressure, tender breasts, nausea, mood swings, low libido, and so on. As always, we're always a proponent of doing research, learning more for yourself. And with this particular topic, we talked a lot about the fact that it's super important to ask questions. So do your research, go to your healthcare professional, and have a good discussion with them. And now into fun facts. So we have, I want to say about three or four. We have like a couple jumbling in our brain today. Arnie actually has the first one, so I'll let her take it away. Hey, Kayla, did you know that breastfeeding can be considered a method of birth control? I've never heard it as a method, but I did hear about the fact that your likelihood of getting pregnant while breastfeeding is lower. So while you're breastfeeding, you actually don't ovulate. And that's kind of how birth control works. And this method is most effective in the first six months after pregnancy. However, it's not the most reliable method of birth control because you don't know when your personal six months will end. You might start ovulating before then. On that same note of birth control methods not working exactly how you ideally would want it to, in the U.S., I only found a U.S. stat for this, which is fine. But in the U.S., half of all unintended pregnancy are actually a result of human error when using birth control. I don't know how fun this fact is, but I thought it was really important to bring up just to be like, just, just again, please be careful, use as instructed. And even the percentage effectiveness that we mentioned above about each birth control method is if you are using it 100% correctly. You are using it, if it comes to the birth control pill, you are taking it exactly the same time every single day and you're doing exactly what the instructions tell you. Even if you're doing it exactly how things are instructed, then the effectivity is 92%. Again, that's not 100%, so be careful. Yeah. Another fun fact is there have been studies on who a woman is more attracted to based on before she started hormonal birth control and while she's using hormonal birth control. And many of these studies found that, but there is a difference in physical features that people are attracted to when using hormonal birth control compared to when they're not. So these studies actually 
are not conclusive in identifying whether it's the use of the hormones specifically that causes the change in sexual preferences or if these changes are a reflection of a possible change in sexual activity of individuals who have started on the contraceptives. But adding on to your fun fact, uh, I can't seem to find that particular study now, but I know at one point I stumbled across a study that found a woman's sexual preferences actually changes slightly over the course of her cycle anyway. So as you're getting closer to ovulation, again, this was done in uh, cis heterosexual women. Uh, As they get closer to ovulation, they are more attracted to typically male characteristics. So beards, muscles, et cetera. No, I totally know the study you're talking about. I found it super interesting. They found that in your, before ovulation, people, or yeah, before ovulation, women were more attracted to, I'm going to say like the typical, I'm using air quotes, but no one can see me, the typical like manly man type prototype, um, chiseled jawline, I don't know what else, like what else you want to like picture, but whatever you like think of like the stereotypical man-man person prototype, that is more of what women were attracted to at that point when their body was ready to have a baby and wanting to do that. And after ovulation, women were more attracted to men with softer features. So not the chisel jawline. I think one of the terms they use are kinder features in men. Um, Not that physical features are an indication of that, but that is what the study found. And I found it super interesting that, um, yeah, when women were very like, when, when your body is very attuned to wanting to procreate and when that is a priority for your body versus when your body's priority is just having a mate to, to, to hang with and be your friend. And cause there's no chance of procreating at that point. Cause you're not going to have a viable egg to have a baby. And you're totally right. I feel like even with these studies, it all comes down to genetic fitness and natural selection. And when you're close to ovulating, you want the best genetic mate. Yeah. Not that those features make a better mate as we all know like people are all different and physical features are not necessarily an indication of that but in terms of how our brain works that's just what it says yeah the human brain is wild and on that note thanks for listening to our tmi talks where we do the research so you don't have to but just as a side note for this episode definitely do your research if you're looking into hormonal birth controls Anyways, let us know if you have any questions at the Gal Pals Guide on Instagram or by emailing us at thegalpalsguide at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your chosen podcast platform. Okay, bye.